reach young adult ministry sermons online from Tuesday, October 2019 by Philip Jackson, pastor to young adults at Evergreen Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, from the series 1 Samuel, entitled Collateral Damage, from 1 Samuel 21, 1-9, and 22, 6-23. If you remember, uh, last week we talked about uh, David and uh, kind of the, the, the preliminary days of him after his, his uh, fame whenever he killed Goliath, right? Remember the picture of him running towards Goliath. He kills him, right? Cuts off his head, and then he walks into the throne room of Saul carrying the giant's head with his sword. I just imagine in my mind, strapped to his back or just dragging it behind him, carrying these two items, and Jonathan is like, yes, my man, right? So, so Saul's insecurities continue to grow. And uh, he begins to resent David even, even more. And so uh, it's so bad, in fact, that Saul begins to go into deep depression. And David, as he had done many, many times before, pulls out his harp to be able to uh, minister to the king through music. Uh, we know the power of music in our own lives, and so Saul is so angry, and he is so resentful of David that he tries to kill him twice, right? And so David finally gets to the point to where uh, Saul says, I want to, I can't kill him myself, but instead what I'll do is I'm just going to put him in a place where he is going to have to uh, be in battle, and hopefully he'll just die. He'll get killed. So what he does is he tells David, he says, I'm going to let you marry my daughter my younger daughter, Michael. And, but here's the thing. You don't have any dowry to be able to, to pay me. You're just a regular dude. In fact, that's what David says. And uh, so he says, tell you what, you go and get me 100 trophies from the Philistines. And he does that. So he goes and doesn't, doesn't just get 100. He gets 200. He brings them back. And trophies uh, that, he, that Saul chose was he wanted him to bring back parts of the Philistines' bodies. So uh, Philistines were at that time considered unclean people, right? These were uncircumcised men. And so Saul was like, hey, I want you to bring me back 100 foreskins. And David was like, challenge accepted. <laughs> and so he goes, he goes and he brings back 200. And so uh, I know this is in the cultural context. Yes, I know. In the cultural context of this, you got to understand, like, this is like, there's only one way those guys are giving this up, right? So he goes and he kills 200 Philistines. He brings these trophies back, and he marries Saul's daughter. I know. I know. It's just, it's only awkward if you make it awkward. That's exactly right. So uh, anyway, so as you can imagine, this, this picks a fight with the Philistines. And so what happens is that David now is like, not only has he killed Goliath, their champion, but also he has like just gone out and raided the Philistines and killed a bunch of them, right? And so the Philistines, they don't like them some David at this point, right? So this is what Saul's hoping to do. He's hoping to provoke the Philistines, and he keeps sending David out to battle to fight the Philistines. But every time he sends them out, no matter how many times the Philistines fight with him, David comes out victorious. And Saul kind of, he gets, this gets old. He's like, I just want you to die. So finally, everything comes to a head, and uh, Saul, Saul decides he's just going to go down there, and he's just going to kill David. And so Michael, his daughter, hides David, and uh, she helps him escape the city. And uh, 
so Saul then begins to hunt David. And so what we're going to look at tonight is what happened in those few, those few days after he began to run away. So this, this starts the beginning of a saga for, for David where he is constantly running from Saul. And uh, as you can imagine, when sinful people get involved, there's collateral damage. Sinful people do stupid things, right? Because when, we're, when we are in our sin, we are insecure because we are feeling conviction. And so because of our insecurity, we do stupid things and we hurt people. Hurting people hurt people, as the phrase goes. So turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 21. We're going to look at what, uh, what happens. So David, he runs to, uh, runs to this city called Nob. And at Nob, this is where the tabernacle is set up. So because of David's friendship with Jonathan and because of his, his relationship with Samuel, he knows that he can't go to these guys to be safe. And so what he does is he decides he's going to go to another priest, a guy named Ahimelech. So checking out uh, 1 Samuel 21, we're going to read the first nine verses and check this out. So it says, David went to the priest Ahimelech at Nob. Ahimelech was afraid to meet David. So he said to him, why are you alone? No one is with you. David answered, answered the priest Ahimelech, the king gave me a mission, but he told me, don't let anyone know anything about the mission I'm sending you on or what I have ordered you to do. I have stationed my young men at a certain place. Now what do you have, now what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread and whatever can be found. I'm going to pause right there. So, so David says, hey, listen, I, I'm, I'm in a hurry. The king sent me on a mission. I can't really tell you what the mission is. It's super secret. But all I know is, like, I, I just had to leave town. So do you have any food laying around? So he says, do you have anything? So here's what Ahimelech says. He says, the pre, verse 4, The priest told him there is no ordinary bread on hand. However, there is consecrated bread, but the young men may eat it only if they have kept themselves from women. So pause again. So essentially what Ahimelech is saying is that, yeah, so in the tabernacle, back in ancient Israel, right, so you have the outer court. This, this is uh, what finally was constructed in the form of the temple. You have the outer court of the tabernacle, and inside the inner court, you had different portions that were allowed by different people to go in. And in the inner part, there was uh, what's called the Holy of Holies, right? And so inside the Holy of Holies, there was this table called uh, the, ta- the showbread table, right? And so what they would do is, is the priest would bake loaves of bread, and they would bring it in hot from the oven, and they would lay out 12 loaves of bread, one for each tribe of Israel. And so it would sit there as an offering to the Lord, signifying uh, his provision. And as, the, as that bread would cool and as it would sit there for a day, then they would take it off of the show table, and it would, the, the, the priests would eat it, okay? So this is bread that's been set aside for a specific purpose. And in fact, if you remember what Jesus, there's a, there's a story about Jesus where his disciples were walking along on the Sabbath and they were pulling the heads off of the stalks of wheat as they walked. And the Pharisees got onto them and they said, they're breaking the Sabbath. They're working on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, no, you don't understand. The Sabbath was made for man, not the man for Sabbath. And, he, and Jesus references this story. He says, didn't David eat the showbread from the tabernacle, right? So this has a direct connection to Jesus' ministry. But David, he tries to protect Ahimelech. So David knows what's going on, right? So his father-in-law is crazy, and he wants him dead. So instead of telling Ahimelech, I'm running from my father-in-law who's crazy, who wants to be dead, he says, 
listen, I'm on a secret mission. So he's trying to look out for Ahimelech. The first thing that I want you to see here is that about David is that godly people seek God's people. Godly people seek God's people. And here's what I mean by that. So David, he could have, he could have gone any, any place you can imagine. He could have gone home to Bethlehem to hang out with his, with his father and his brothers. He could have uh, stayed in the capital city and tried to uh, work politically to uh, unseat his, his uh, father-in-law. He could have gone all over the place. He could have gone to Samuel, but he didn't. Instead, he goes to Ahimelech. And Ahimelech is a, is a godly man. And so David tries to, uh, tries to protect his reputation, but he asks for help. Now check this out. This is, uh, here's a passage of scripture. So uh, when we are in trouble and ask God for help, we have to make sure that we're living godly lives. David, for instance, so it says that they had to keep themselves from women. And, and us, in other words, what they're saying is that the priest Ahimelech says, you guys can eat this showbread, but you have to be consecrated first. You've got to be holy first. So for us, what does that mean for us? When we're in need, right, when we are desperate and we go to God, he's got one expectation, one requirement. You have to lay everything on the table. God's not going to let you come to him and hide things behind your back and say, hey, will you bless me? Will you take care of this need? I'm not going to give you everything about my life. Ahimelech is saying, yeah, you can have this, this bread that's been set apart for a reason, but you have to have your hearts right before God first. Check out what it says in James chapter 4. It says this. It says, What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from the cravings that are at war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend it on your evil desires. Adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. Ahimelech is telling David, yes, I'll give you food. I'll give you sustenance because you literally have nothing. But here's the condition, is that you have to be right before God. See, the temptation for us is that, oh, well, I love to serve God when everything is great when I'm making money or whenever I have these career opportunities or things were riding high. But the problem is that when things aren't so rosy, when things aren't so great, we go back to God and we say either, how dare you do this to me? We shake our fist. Or we say, God, please, just bail me out. Bail me out, please. I need help. Just bail me out. But the truth is that God wants all of you. He doesn't just want your stuff. He doesn't just want your commitment in this season. He doesn't just want your your little things. He wants all of you. So Ahimelech is telling David, yeah, this is God's house. We're gonna we'll take care of you, but here's the condition, is that you've got to be all in. The temptation is that, you know what? I'm going to serve God as long as I am in this dark season, and once I'm out of this dark season, I'm good. There are, there are whole movements that have been built on the idea that God just wants you to be successful and be awesome and be happy. But the truth is that God wants you to be holy. He wants you to have relationship with him, and the only way that you can do that is if you are completely all in, 100%, all chips in the middle of the table. So David asked for help, right? He asked for food. 
But then what else did he ask for? Okay, so remember our context here. When, when David fought Goliath just a, just a few weeks maybe before this, there were only two swords in the entire kingdom of Israel. Okay, so we're in the middle of the Bronze Age here. The, the thing that made the Philistines so deadly was that their culture had perfected this, this art of combining metal, iron, with tin and creating bronze. It's harder than iron. It could take more abuse than iron. And so what happened was they began to dominate the region because of weaponry. And because of this, they didn't allow any blacksmiths in the nation of Israel. So, it, so remembering our text from last week, the only two swords in all the kingdom of Israel belonged to Jonathan and Saul. So David, he kills Goliath. So a sword is a big deal. So David then, he asks for weapons, right? So check out verse 7. It says, um, oh, sorry, let me back up here. Uh, so, so verse 5. David answered him, I swear that women are being kept from us as always when I go out to battle. The young men's bodies are consecrated even on an ordinary mission. So, of course, their bodies are consecrated today. So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, and there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from the presence of the Lord. When the bread was removed, it had been replaced with warm bread. So caveat here. So there's a, there's a dude hanging off to the side while this is, all this is happening. And he's watching all this take place. Check this out in verse 7. One of Saul's servants detained before the Lord was there that day. His name was Dueg, the Edomite, chief of Saul's shepherds. Let me pause for a second. So this guy is more than likely in service to, to Ahimelech in the tabernacle. And he's more than likely he's either a prisoner of war or he is a captured slave. So the Edomites are the descendants of Esau. You remember uh, Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau, right? Jacob is the, is the forefather, the patriarch of the people of Israel. He's the one who God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. And then Esau, his older brother, his twin brother, they, he went off and God blessed him also, but his descendants were the Edomites. And so more than likely this guy is a captured person from war. So bear in mind, he's over there watching. Verse 8. David said to Ahimelech, Do you have a spear or sword on hand? I didn't even bring my sword or my weapon since the king's mission was so urgent. David said, I barely got out of town. I was in such a hurry, I didn't have time to grab my sword. Check out what God had provided. So in verse 9, The priest replied, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want to take it for yourself, then take it, for there isn't another one here. There's none like it, David said. Give it to me. See, swords are uncommon at this point in history. Now, David, when he comes to Ahimelech, he is hungry and he is helpless. So he says, I need food. I need food more than anything else. I need, you, I need to feed my men. But then he says, do you have anything that I can use to protect myself? See, here's another thing about being desperate in front of God. is that God knows that you need food. He knows that you need the basic necessities of life. But God will always provide protection for you. Always. If God has his stamp on your life and God is doing things in your life and you are chasing Jesus, God will protect you. He is divinely inspiring protection. Now, Goliath's sword, yeah, it was a weapon. But do you think that that weapon had a reputation? There's a difference between, oh yeah, David, he's the one that killed Goliath. 
right? So Saul's out there chasing David around, and he just has the skin on his, he, he has the, his clothes on his back, he's got nothing else, and he just, he's running away from Saul. There's a difference between that picture and David in front of soon-to-be 600 men with the sword of Goliath on, the back, on his back, the, the, the giant that he slayed with a sling and a stone, the same sword that cut off Goliath's head. Now we have a reputation. Now we have a picture. God is making a point here with David. He is making a very, very strong point. He's saying not only is David taken care of, but David is protected. Your basic needs are met because you have come to God in a holy and consecrated way, and I'm going to provide not only protection, but I'm going to provide a reputation. See, here's the thing about people who chase Jesus, right? Is that we have this image of godly people as being these meek and mild little weakling people. But the truth is that a real Jesus chaser is someone who is terrifying to the world. And they don't want that person around. They hate them. Because to be a friend of God is to be an enemy of the world. So you have to ask yourself the question, how well do I fit in? Do I fit in well? Am I, am I coasting? Is there any pushback against my life? And if so, if you're fitting right in with the culture, if you're fitting right in with how things are, if there's no tension in your life, that's a good indicator that you're not being obedient to what God's called you to be. Because Jesus said, we will have trouble. There's no way around it. When we are in trouble, we need to run to God's people and seek two things, spiritual nourishment and protection. David knew, if I go to Ahimelech, he will help me. See, there's also a whole other message here about community, about where you run when, you're, when you are in trouble. Where do you go whenever you have nowhere else to go? Do you go to people who are going to direct you back to the Lord, or do, do you run to people that are going to help you get caught up in your emotions and work through all of your issues, and they're going to they're wind you up, and they're going to send you out back into the world? Or do you have people that when, when, they, when you come to them, that they're going to look you in the eye and they're going to say, okay, I see that you're upset, but here's what the truth is. I see that you, you really care about this and that you have, you've been wounded, but here's what the truth is. Because the truth doesn't care about your feelings. Feelings can be deceptive. They're great to talk about. They make me feel good. But feelings don't change anything. Feelings are deceptive. They deceive you. They make you bury truth down inside of you that you don't want to acknowledge because acknowledging the truth is hard. Because acknowledging the truth means that I've got to be humble before God. That means that I've got to acknowledge that I don't know what I'm doing. There's a passage in Hebrews and another one in Proverbs that says, Don't despise the conviction of the Lord. Because whom the Lord loves, he convicts. Think about this. The people that you run to in your life are so important because they set you on a course. And how they react to the stresses in their life, how they react in the stresses in your life, have to point you to Jesus. And if they don't, 
the end will be destructive. This is a hard part. So now, bear in mind, Duig, this guy here, this Edomite, is hanging out and he's watching. Now he saw all this go down and he runs back and he tells Saul what happened. So as you can imagine, Saul is not happy. He's furious. And so he summons Ahimelech and all of the priests from Nod. From Nob. There's 85 of them. Flip over to chapter 22. We're going to have to skip some parts here because we don't have time to go through all of it. In chapter 22, verse 11, check this out. The second thing I want you to see in this passage of Scripture is that God's people seek the truth and protection from sin. Look at how Ahimelech responds to Saul. Verse 11 of uh, chapter 22. The king sent messengers to summon the priest Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, and his father's whole family, who were priests in Nob. All of them came to the king. Then Saul said, Listen, son of Ahitub. He says, I'm at your service, my lord, he said. Saul asked him, Why did you and Jesse's son conspire against me? You gave him bread and a sword and inquired of God for him so he could rise up against me and wait in ambush, as is the case today. Hold up a second. The world is full of people, who, sinful people, who only care about themselves. Remember who we're dealing with here, the crazy king. He's obsessed with his own persona. He's obsessed with his own following. He hates David because David is so successful. One of the things that you can tell about sinful people is that they are obsessed with themselves. And the only way that they can make themselves feel taller is if they cut you off at the knees. These are destructive people. Their sin is making the decisions for them. But here's the other thing, though, is that just because you're innocent doesn't mean that you get a pass for persecution. Saul did not have a problem with Ahimelech before this started. Saul had a problem with David. And because of David, Ahimelech is collateral damage, right? Collateral damage is what happens whenever the military comes in and they, and they drop uh, explosives. And those explosives, they destroy their primary target, but there's also other things that are caught up in the explosion. Collateral damage are the homes that are destroyed when a terrorist leader is killed. Collateral damage is when landscapes are changed because of ordinances that are dropped. Okay, they aren't their primary target. They are impacted just by being there. There's going to be times in your life when things are going to happen, when sinful people are going to go back and forth with each other, and you're going to be caught in the crossfire. It happens. But just because you're innocent doesn't give you a pass on persecution. Saul doesn't care about facts. He's made up his mind. Look at what he says in, in verses 12 and 13. He says, Then Saul said, Listen, son of Ahitub. And he says, I'm at your service, my lord. He said, Saul asked him, Why did you and Jesse's son conspire against me? Notice he didn't ask him what happened. He just said, He just assumes. He's just assuming, right? Why did you and Jesse's son conspire against me? You gave him bread and a sword and inquired of God for him. So he could rise up against me and wait in ambush, as is the case today. He doesn't care about facts. He's made up his mind. But check out how Ahimelech responds, verses 14 and 15. He says, Ahimelech replied to the king, Who among all your servants is as faithful as David? He is the king's son-in-law, captain of your bodyguard, and honored in your house. Ahimelech says, what are you talking about? David has done nothing wrong. 
Ahimelech is a righteous man. What he's doing is he's defending a righteous man. Surround yourself with people like this. A godly community that whenever somebody comes to them and they, they try to stir up trouble, they say, that does not sound like them at all. That doesn't sound like Maddie. That doesn't sound like Philip. That doesn't sound like Ethan. I know them. They're, that's not who they are. Surround yourself with these kinds of people. God's people should always try to protect those who are, the, who are hurting. So think about this. Not only that, but check out what else he, uh, Ahimelech says in verse 15. Was today the first time I inquired of God for him? Of course not. Please don't let the king make an accusation against your servant or any of my father's family, for your servant didn't have any idea about all of this. He's saying, look, is this the first time I prayed for David? Absolutely not. Is this the first time I've stepped in to help your family? Absolutely not. But he says, please, Saul, don't do this. Don't do this. Because these are going to be consequences that you're going to have to live with. See, God's people should always try to protect those that are hurting. Ahimelech tries to make a case for David, and then he tries to protect Saul's reputation. But Saul is so blinded by his sin that he has one priority, one priority alone, and that is to make people suffer. Innocent people get drawn into sin. Because hurt people hurt people, and sinful people are dumb. They are. Sinful people act dumb. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I have made stupid decisions. Not the, not the one that gets me in trouble. It's the one that prepares me to get into trouble. Right? It's not the, oh, I'm going to do something stupid. It's, oh, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to pound five beers and then I'm going to go try something stupid. Right? The, the primary decision wasn't, Oh, I set out to do this. It was, I, set, I started out and I made compromises in my own self here. That led to this, which is the thing that I'm having to deal with the consequences of later down the road. We've got to remember that Satan is smart. He loves, to, he loves to use people in a way that will hurt other people, and they don't even know what's going on. Some of you guys are carrying things that other people have done to you, or there are other things that have happened and you were just in the presence of a situation that was destructive and you got sucked into it and as a result you got hurt. But I want to tell you that that doesn't change how God sees you. I loved what Tucker said. It's absolutely true. We put ourselves here at this level and we think that this is what God expects from us. God has one expectation from you and that's you're a dirty, rotten sinner and you're going to sin. You're going to screw up. That's his one guarantee. He says, you know what, when I look at Philip Jackson, I know that he is going to screw up. I know that he's going to be a sinner. I know that he is going to hurt me. I know that he's going to hurt his family. I know that he's going to do all of these things and violate my trust. That is what God expects from me. And yet, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. And yet, he loves me in my fallen nature when I abuse him over and over and over again. The truth is that God has one expectation of you, and that is you are going to be a sinner. You're going to do it. And yet, if you have trusted in Jesus, in the pure blood of Jesus Christ, when God the Father looks at you, he sees nothing but his Son. That's incredible to me. God's people, they seek truth, and they try to protect others who are being dumb. But the truth is that sometimes we get, in tr we, we get hurt in that process. 
The last thing I want you to see here is that God's people have one fate. So Ahimelech, he could, he could say, you know what? You're after David, you go get David. But Saul, he's got one, one thing in mind. He's got to make a point. Look at, how this, look at how this ends up. Sinful people are so blind sometimes. Verse 16. But the king said, you will die, Ahimelech, you and your father's whole family. Then the king ordered the guards standing by him, turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because they sided with David. For they knew he was fleeing, but they, did, but they didn't tell me. But the king's servants would not lift a hand to execute the priests of the Lord. So the king said to Duig, go and execute the priests. So Duig the Edomite went and ex- executed the priests himself on that day. He killed 85 men who wore linen ephods. Those are the priests. He also struck down Nob, the city of the priests, with a sword. Both women, men and women, infants and nursing babies, oxen, donkeys, and sheep. Sinful people are blind, and they do stupid things. So what's interesting here is that Saul, he commands his most trusted soldiers, his bodyguards, to violate the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder. People who are blinded by sin are irrational. They're destructive. They do stupid things, and you can't reason with them. I've got people in my own family who are caught up so much in their sin, they, don't, they will not humble themselves before the Lord, and as a result, they keep hurting people. If you see something in someone's life where they repeatedly hurt, hurt people over and over and over again, that is a great sign that they've got sin in their life that they will not repent of. If you have hurts in your life, where you have hurt person after person after person. That's a great indication that you have things that you need to make right with the Lord. Because sinful people are dumb. And they're destructive. They're irrational. They try to get other to join, others to join them in their sin as leverage. Think about this. If those, if those bodyguards had turned and obeyed Saul and killed Ahimelech and all the priests... Now, Saul will be able to say, oh, you guys are so much better than me? When you killed 85 priests and all those women and children? You think you're, the, you think you're great at this, right? This is blackmail. This is what sinful people do. They're not content to stay in their sin by themselves. Instead, what they do is they try to force other people to compromise their own values so that they can then use that as leverage to get them to do other things for them. A godly person is someone who seeks truth and tries to protect people. An ungodly person is someone who tries to get you to compromise your values so that then they can use that as leverage against you. Check this out. Saul has only one place to turn because his guys won't do it. So he turns to the Edomite and he commands him to kill the priests. Right? So they murder the priests in the city of Nob and and uh, it shows the destruction that, that sin can bring on godly people. But I want you to think about this. We are all tied to the same fate. You cannot pretend your way to be favorable to the world and love Jesus. You cannot capitulate to the world and to sin and think that you are okay with God. You cannot live your life in a way that's friendly to the world and dabble around the edges and expect your 
relationship with God to be okay. It just doesn't work that way. And here's the thing is if you're over here nibbling on the edges of, of Christianity and chasing Jesus and you're just kind of playing with it over here, all of the other people who are trying to take this seriously, because of you, they can get hurt. These are the words of Jesus. He says this in John 15. He says, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as, as its own. However, because you were not of the world, but, have chose, but I have chosen you out of the world, it hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will, they will also keep yours. But they, will, they, but they will do all these things to you on account of my name, because they don't know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. Now they have no excuse for their sin. The one who hates me also hates my father. If I had, done, if I had not done the works among them that no one else has done, they would not have sinned. Now they have seen and hated both me and my father, but this happened so that the statement written in their scripture might be fulfilled. They hated me for no reason. I want you to think about this. I, I've said this before. I want you to think about this. The most perfect person to walk the face of the earth. The kindest, most loving, gentle, godly person to ever walk the earth was Jesus. Right? Right? He lifted people out of their addictions. He delivered people from their physical ailments that they had carried for years, for decades. He did all of these things, and how did the world respond? They stripped him naked first. And then they beat him. And then they beat him again. In front of everyone. And then they took a cat of nine tails, which is a which is a, a Roman torture instrument, long leather straps on it, about this long, about two or three feet long, with bone and rock and different different pieces of sharp, uh, hard hard material at the end of these straps. And it was specifically designed to wrap itself around parts of the body. And then it, when it was pulled, it would take a person with some pretty decent strength to pull this cat of nine tails off of someone. It was uniquely designed to literally rip the flesh off of someone, their, their skin, down to the bone. And if that wasn't enough, what they did is they put a robe on him after they did this, and when he was bleeding. And they beat him some more, and they waited for the blood to dry, and then they ripped that robe off of him again, and they put his, robe back, his old robe back on him. And then they made him carry a cross that probably weighed between 60 and 120 pounds, through the city of Jerusalem, they laid him down, again, naked in front of everyone. They took metal spikes about 10 inches long. They drove, drove one in each wrist right here between these two bones. And they drove one in between his heels, between his Achilles tendon and his, in his, the bone of his foot. And then they lifted him up, and they dropped him in a hole just enough 
to cause even more pain. This is how the world will respond to your kindness. This is how the world responds to your generosity. This is how the world will respond to your quiet answers. I don't want to hurt your feelings. God forbid I should hurt your feelings. In the meantime, you're dying inside. For us to not live a godly life is the equivalent of a doctor walking into their office to talk to a cancer patient and saying, you know what? I know you've got cancer, but I just want you to feel better, so here, take this vitamin. Surgery would be too painful. That's going to hurt you. We don't want to do that. Treatment would be too, too difficult. We are meant to be salt and light to the world. But the thing about it is that to live a godly life is not all terrible things. It's not all pain and judgment and sorrow. The truth is that there is only one way to truly live, and that is to know Jesus. And for some of you guys, you, you are you're running to the wrong things to try to, to find perspective in your life, to find protection from hard things. It could be that you're running to ungodly people. It could be that you're not seeking the truth and you're not trying to protect people from themselves or from sin. You're getting caught up in the same destructive patterns that's going on with the culture around you. And you think, in the back of your mind, you know what, if I could just fit in, maybe it won't be that bad. But the truth is that God's people have the same fate. No matter how hard you shake it, no matter how hard you try, the world will hate you. And that's not what I say, that's what Jesus said. They hated him first, so they're going to hate us. So, where's the happy ending here in this story? Ahimelech and his family all die. Saul will continue to hunt David for months. Um, people will continue to suffer. But this is a really dark moment in David's life because he later, he hears about this. One of uh, Ahimelech's sons escapes. And he finds his way to, to David. And David gives him shelter. And he, be, he becomes part of David's uh, cohort. He lives to, to an old age and, and sees David reign and sees great things happen. Here's my encouragement to you. We're about to go on a retreat, right? About to go together for a couple of days. We've set aside a weekend. All the, all the other stuff that we could do. And here's what I want to encourage you, is that God has laid a foundation of people in your life to help build you into the person that he wants you to be. And if you choose to reject that community, that's not on anybody else but you. It's just not. I know, I know what it's like to be in my 20s and not feel like I have community. I know that. I know what it's like to sit at home after I've worked a full day and thinking, well, you know, I guess I'll just hang out at the house today or maybe I'll just surf on the internet or maybe I'll just do, you know. I've had those feelings. Guys, I know what it means to be 
young and lonely. And I want to encourage you that you have a gift here in this, in this place. You've got a gift with this, this community of people. And I want to encourage you in, in two things. The first is to cultivate an atmosphere where people want to come, where they want to run when they're in trouble. And two, I want to challenge you to be people of courage. People who will stand up and protect those who are being hunted. To be someone who will speak truth, because that's where true, uh, true redemption comes from. And be someone who's not afraid, who confidently looks at the world and what's happening and invites people to come along with you. Be a person of courage, even when you know that your fate is fixed. What's up, everybody? This is Philip Jackson, pastor of young adults at Evergreen Church. I want to invite you to come to Reach. We meet every Tuesday evening at 6.30 at Evergreen Church, just east of Mingo on 111th Street. For more information, check out our website, reachtulsa.org. You can connect with us on social media and on Instagram by searching for reach.tulsa. Also, be sure to subscribe to our content for the latest sermons and updates. You can also find us on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Yeah, watch over us. Bring your glory down.